It's Tom Selleck's mustache and Gene Simmons' tongue in a battle of the death with robots. And welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for discussions on movies that are old, out of date, out of fashion, forgotten, unloved, or unremembered. Once again, I am your host, James Eldred. And who do I have joining me again for today's episode? Uh, mustache free since 2018. Uh, it's Diamond Fight. Wow. Ah, hey, Diamond. Welcome back. This is your second appearance on Cinema Oblivia. Yes. Uh, first, yes. And uh, last time I talked to you, we were both hiding in our apartments because neither of us had been vaccinated and everything was terrible. Mm. And now you are forced by the government to hide in your apartment, uh, required by law. So, yes, but I, mm-hmm. I did get out there and I, I got my shots. So I'm feeling feeling real good, real strong, real strong against yes. any any, uh, any viruses might be out there today. Yes. And, and you got back to Japan on your second try. So good job. Yeah, uh, it only it only took two trips to yeah. JFK to get that done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I yeah you you didn't have to those who don't know you didn't have the right Japanese documents signed by American doctors to clear you for a flight back to Japan, right? Mm-hmm. There's a very specific sheet of yeah. paper they want you to have signed by a doctor, otherwise they don't they don't let you on the plane, and allegedly they don't let you into the country. And I can believe it because once I landed uh, back home at Kansai Airport. I had oh, to show that God. piece of paper to, I'm going to guess, at least 24 people. Like, yes, everyone I wanted to see it. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was that, that, I did the same thing in Haneda Airport, and it was, it was almost comical, like, how yeah. many different people you go to for this situation. Like, you could have a potentially deadly contagious disease, you yep. interact with 8,000 people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just a parade, yes. a parade of workers who are like, no, are you sick? Are you sick? Are you sick? Are you sick? Are you it's the same sure? question. Are, it's like, are, I'm, I, I really, I really am not sick. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting paper, sick now. <laughs> the piece of paper shows that I had a test and I'm feeling fine. Yeah. And you just tested me yeah. and I'm feeling yeah. fine. So yeah. let's go. <laughs> yeah. I, the, 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 the worst part of that would be like that whole thing sucked. But then at the very last person, like in customs, there was a typo on that form. Ugh. And they looked at it for like five minutes, and I was like, "Dude, like eight hundred other people looked, but whatever, you know, we're both yeah, back, I, we're both vaccinated." Yes, I think we so. had a similar holdup because we went through all the virus stuff, and all the virus stuff was cleared, and we got a test, and the tires, the tests were negative, and then we move on to you actually move on to passport control, and I'm like, "Oh, we're still doing this, okay." Yeah. And a passport control, I still have to fill out a form, and I still have to say, "Do you feel sick?" And at that point. There was a small moment of confusion because, of course, my son has two passports. Mm. But all the paperwork and stuff we did in America, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not whipping out two passports for that. I just, I did that with American passport. So there was a brief moment, like, oh, what passport do we use here? What passport do we use here? And I'm like, 
use whatever one you, you have. I don't care. Here, yeah. here, I should, here they are both. Here's both of them. Write whatever you want. But the fact is, here he is. He's American. He's Japanese. We're going in. Yeah. yeah <laughs> this is over fuck. with. Yeah, get me the fuck out of this airport. Yeah, yeah. Because at, yeah. at that point, I'd been there for like you know about two hours. So it's like, come on. Yo, you, know, you I, beat I'm, me. I was there for um five. So yeah, that. Wow. Yeah, but we're not here to talk about uh, yeah. police procedures in government procedures in uh, relation to runaway viruses. Mm. We're here to talk about police procedures involving runaway robots mm. in, in Michael Crichton's. 1984, not so much a banger, Runaway, starring Tom Selleck. Now, again, I sent everyone my list, and 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 you were like, you you gave me a few back, and I was like, I want to talk about Runaway. Uh, I don't know if I was a wise choice, but why did you want to talk about Runaway? Well, this is one of those movies that appeared on cable a lot. And oh, yeah. <laughs> when you see this one on cable, it's kind of, especially if at a young age, you see this one, you're like, what's even happening here? What? It's it's a it's a it's cops versus robots and like, oh my god is is that Gene Simmons? <laughs> it's just, you know, is Gene, Gene Simmons S- killing people? <laughs> Gene Simmons versus Magnum PI and Ray, and Rebecca from Cheers is could yeah, just, die. It, a lot of recognizable people. Uh, yeah, you know the movie. Yeah, I would say it's it's not a great movie, but definitely like it catches your it catches your attention. Has a lot of stuff. You know, there's a lot there's a lot happening. It, it moves mm-hmm. along pretty well and. Uh, you know, it de- it's definitely one that stuck out to me. So uh, when it was on your list, like, oh yeah, I've seen that one plenty of times, and I, you know, I watched it again to make sure I had a, you know, had my all cut up on on the movie. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it was very, you know, all, all the plot points and 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 moments and and weird weird killer robots were very familiar to me. Yeah, and and before we get going too much, I think this episode will get pretty spoiler heavy. So if you have not seen Runaway Diamond, you said this is on YouTube in America for free, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you can find on YouTube, you know, as a picture-in-picture, you know, pirate copy. But when I was recently, when I was recently in the United States, I just found it on the YouTube like official movie channel. Is this? There's like dozens of movies that are just free on YouTube in America right now, and this is one of them. It's it's fully there. It's licensed. It's not like it's not hidden behind anything. It's like you can just watch it. The Terminator is free on there too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, the other yeah the other 1984 robot movie. Um. <laughs> Because yeah, slightly better, it's a little, little slightly better, slightly more important, slightly more everything. Yeah, this is also on Amazon Prime if you want to go that route. You know, so you got your options if you want to watch this movie before we go into it. And and I do think you should watch it. I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably have already. But if you haven't, and you just love our voices that much, um, you know, give it a watch. It's 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 a fun movie, and uh, it, it's it's a weird one. But yeah, this was a um a Michael Crichton joint. Mm. Uh, yeah, of of you know, as everyone knows, Jurassic Park fame no longer with us. But when he was around, he he wasn't just a director. He also worked in movies and not just movies based on his books. He he also wrote and directed original things mm. like this one. <laughs> uh, did, have you seen any other movies that he directed? He didn't do that many. Yeah, uh, I, oh, I'm, I'm sure I saw Westworld at some point. That's a movie everyone has seen. Um... And I think uh, Looker is one of his, right? Yeah, I never saw Looker. What's that about? Do you know? Look, Looker is, is I think, you know, not to jump ahead too far, but it's kind of similar to this in that it's sort of this weird sort of science fiction, science fiction-y take on American, like, American media. And it's 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 not about cops, though. It's more about, like, 
there's actors and they're sort of, they're creating digital clones of people. And it's just, Hmm. it's, um, it's been a while. I think that one, that one was on cable less often. So it's been a while since I've seen that one, but I know it, um, I remember Susan Day was in it before she was on LA Law. Like in in between, in between Partridge Family and LA Law, she did, she did Looker. (laughs) And I think, um, I think Albert Finney is a big role in that one. Yeah, Albert Finney, and I'm looking at it, Albert Finney and uh, James Coburn. And all I know from Looker is the box, because it's an amazing box of this naked woman on four CRT TVs. Yes. Um, Susan Day is naked in that movie. If, if, uh, oh, okay. If, if she, you know, if anyone out there is like, really remember Susan Day, and like, I want to see Susan Day naked. There you go. Go Red Looker. <laughs> okay, I'll keep, <laughs> put, get across another one off my LA Law list, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And Mark Harmon. Uh, yeah, yeah, Looker was not really big, though. I think as a director, his biggest movies were probably Westworld. That's based on his book. Mm-hmm. And Westworld's a fun movie. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, Yule Brenner as the robot cowboy. I just watched Westworld for the first time, like, I think last month. Great. Nothing like the TV show. No. Um, no, just a very simple, very silly, very fun movie that I, mm-hmm. I, I recommend watching. I haven't seen Coma. Coma is based on someone else's book. <laughs> so, yeah, I the only one, the only reason I know that one is because I believe it's, it stars um, Genevieve, Genevieve Bujol and Zuntite. Yeah, well, she's French. Okay. And the only reason I know her is because I'm a big Star Trek nerd and she was almost the star of star trek voyager and that she was cast as, as the lead oh, in voyager that's her okay and then she they, like it just it wasn't working out and they they pulled the plug and they changed they changed for um kate mulgrew so okay okay there was a little window there where i was like oh who is this person and i looked her up and i remember looking up coleman like it's got an interesting premise i think it's one of those like people are like there's like a bunch of bodies trapped in a warehouse somewhere like uh mm-hmm. You know, it's probably similar to like parts of the Clonus horror or something. You know, like a bunch, yeah, a bunch yeah. of people being, you know, being bred for for parts or whatever. That's another one I remember. The box because the box has and the poster has these people like suspended on wires and comas, and uh, that looked cool. And it has Richard Ridmark in it, and I assume he's the bad guy because it's that's his job. And yeah, yeah. I would I would like to see it at some point. It has Rip Torn, you know, so. <laughs> Good cast. Oh, well, good. Then you gotta see it. Come on, Rip Torn. I mean, Rip, Rip Torn. Yes. And then there was the Great Train Robbery, which I, I also I think I saw like eons ago, uh, and have no recollection. So that was also based on one of his books. And then the ones that weren't based on his books, like Looker, Runaway, and then a movie called Physical Evidence that I have never heard of, <laughs> is a that was written as a sequel to Jagged Edge and then changed to not be a sequel to Jagged Edge. <laughs> With um with Burt Reynolds, it's it's a it's a late '80s Burt Reynolds movie. So that's all oh, I'm kind of need to know. That's um, why you. That's why no one's ever heard of it or talked about it since. Yeah, and that was last... a cop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I bet Rent Cop's better. Isn't that the one of Liza Minnelli? Yes, yes it is. <laughs> well, then it's better. Then it's better. It's gayer. <laughs> so Almost certainly. It. Yes, and then he, of course, he did uncredited work on Thirteenth Warrior as a director, but that movie is just dog shit. That's that's a weird one. That's the one with, that was one of the movies that was like was made and then sat on a shelf for like three years, right? Well, with the, that movie had a like that's that was based on his book Eaters of the Dead. Yes, uh, which, is which a good I had, which I read in, in junior high. Uh, I don't ask me anything about it. It's all gone. I saw Thirteenth Warrior in the theaters. I'm the guy. Yeah, and, I definitely uh, did too. Why well, were the two? All right, we did it. And uh, <laughs> final reunion. No, and uh, 
it's a bad movie. It and it felt like a movie that was in production hell. Like it's very fragmented, has a super long opening sequence, a lot of narration. Because the credited director is uh McTiernan, right? John McTiernan, yes, isn't yes, that what it yes, is? Yes, John McTiernan, yes. Yeah. And it, that movie's a disaster. This this is the better movie than that. And mm. <laughs> so well, it's certainly more I, memorable. Yeah. Like I can't remember anything in Thursday the Warrior. Yeah, the only thing I remember from Thirteenth Warrior is how quickly Antonio Banderas' character learns um, whatever the Vikings speak, and I'm and and that and that the the more I live in Japan, the angrier I get of <laughs> <laughs> how quickly he could pick up a foreign language. Yeah, that movie's bad. People don't also realize that Michael Crichton wrote Twister. Yes. Yes, with his wife. Yes. Uh, yes. Who's in this movie? Who's in this movie? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure which one she's in this movie. She's credited as. Hooker at bar, and <laughs> she's the she's the hooker later on who tries to tell Tom Selleck that she has a good body. Like, oh, okay, okay. One... So she, in, in the police station, after yeah, okay. So she's not the one who's just who's conspicuously topless for no real reason. Yeah, conspicuously topless in this PG thirteen movie. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's eighty four, so they're still figuring out what the rules are for PG thirteen. Yeah, mean, that's, you get, you... I mean, uh, what uh, what year was National Lampoon's European Vacation? Because that also is PG thirteen with a lot of bare breasts in it. Well, there's I don't know, but there's I mean, the go to example on this podcast has always been Can't Stop the Music, which is rated I think PG and has a dick in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a dick. Dicks, you that's know. <laughs> yep, that's a dick. Day for the whole family New podcast. Yes, but no, Mike. I think you know Michael Crichton's filmography as a writer, director, and movies adapted by him. You obviously have Jurassic Park, and mm. you have a bunch of other movies that wildly vary <laughs> in uh, in quality. What are your other like? Do you ha- are there any other Crichton books turned into movies or Crichton movies that you like a lot? I remember a lot of people recommended The Andromeda Strain to me, and mm. I remember I remember reading that book. I never saw the film, but I remember reading that book and and, and being into it as a kid. Uh, I also really liked the mo- the book sphere, but I did not care for the movie at all. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I don't have any experience with sphere. I love the book and the movie Andromeda Strain. I, mm. I would. That was probably. I think I probably read Andromeda Strain right after Jurassic Park came out. You know, because mm. I was like in junior high school or high school prime age to like dive into that kind of book. And I, the book is the book is creepy as hell, especially now. <laughs> Yeah, it's about, I, uh, it's probably I probably should revisit it at this point, and de- and definitely should watch that movie. Yeah, and the movie's very very good. The book the both super seventies. Like the movie's awesome. The movie also has a completely electronic score. Ooh, and just like this movie, that's and, my jam. But it's super early electronic, very atonal and strange. And mm. for me to get on my record nerd kick, the soundtrack to that came in a record that's on a hexagon, <laughs> and. The 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 sleeve kind of unfolds like like a flower almost probably something to do with science I don't know um it was super hard to find for years I had a copy that I sold when I moved here that, that felt like a hundred dollars very strange soundtrack it was reissued recently so you can get it but nice yeah, I gotta catch a, up on this yeah that's a, that's a gooder that's a, that all around good stuff I would say that's probably next to Jurassic Park of the films I've seen in the Michael Crichton overall oeuvre, <laughs> probably the best one. And then maybe he's probably Westworld. And then, and then, then it's a dive. <laughs> and then, his- yeah, well, I mean, 
the two of us are Americans living in Japan, so we should probably mention Rising Sun, at least in passing. <laughs> That's really racist, right? Yeah, it's... But it's it's, it's very specific. It's it's uh, it's racism combined with uh, sort of the Japan panic of the late '80s. Even though it came out in the '90s, the movie version yeah. anyway. Yeah. And it's all about yeah, it's all about Americans who are worried that the Japanese are going to buy them up, and there's a murder mystery, and there's some cool things in it. Like again, as as a as a as a movie goes, just kind of like the story is was I remember seeing it as, as a teenager and being intrigued by the story. But once you really look at it, like what what's happening? How are the Japanese people being treated in this movie? How the hell is Sean Connery here as a Japanese expert? Well, he talks about the Japanese people <laughs> like, like you know, like they're in a nature documentary. It's like you can see them <laughs> yeah. backing away from him. They're isolating yeah. him. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I know I saw that movie. And I remember that movie had some interesting technology stuff, too. Uh, dealing yes, with surveillance and like... They predict deep fakes, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there is that. And it has Wesley Snipes. So that's that. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't get wrong with the snipes. I'm a big fan of Congo. <laughs> Even though it is the stupidest damn movie. That's my favorite, like B grade Crichton after this, maybe. Did you, see, did you see Congo? I've never seen it, no, but I know Bruce Campbell's in it, so I, I have to appreciate it at least a little bit. He's not in it very long. No. Um <laughs> it's a short short role. Yes. Joe Don Baker is in that film more than Bruce Campbell. And yeah, well. like Congo's, I, I mentioned Congo recently on this podcast because it's a great example of a movie that came out and every critic hated it and it made a hundred million dollars. And I just think people like gorillas. And that's, you tell me a movie has gorillas smashing people's heads open, I'm going to want to watch it. And you, then you put Tim, Tim Curry in it and I'm there. So it's a bad movie. Hmm. <laughs> this, is a, this is a better movie than that. But like it is really much a one man show. Like Crichton wrote and directed it. The producers only really worked with him. It's kind of all about him. Oh, we forgot to mention. I re- that remember that you saw it on Twitter. Well, he the, the movie he wrote by the guy and directed by the director of Supergirl. Did did you see that? Oh my lord! Yeah, that was like I didn't even recognize that guy's name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Crontendo did because. That's probably his jam. But he <laughs> wrote a movie after Andromeda Strain and Terminal Man, another pretty good movie. He wrote a movie called Extreme Close Up, which is credited as the poster on the poster with a quote from Penthouse Magazine and says, The author of Andromeda Strain and Terminal Man now blows your erotic mind with America's first great voyeur film. Yeah. Well, I guess it's, it's a, pre-sliver then. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, you know, if we're going to discount those two, then we still haven't had a great voyeur film. Uh, <laughs> we've, had, we've had voyeur films, but we haven't had a great voyeur film. I think the video, the FMV video game voyeur is better than Sliver. <laughs> But like that was a movie that was supposed to be a hard X. Like it was going to be like actual sex because a lot of people in the seventies wanted to do that because it, it's like real filmmakers wanted to make porno. Like Kubrick wanted mm. to make a porno at one point because that was the time of porn chic, you know. And right, and wasn't there the, the story about what was it? I think Last Tango in Paris, where they alleged yeah. that Marlon Brando, what did. He did something to the actress actress on set while they were in bed. Like they didn't like he didn't penetrate her, but like he he lubed her up or something. 
Well, there's a lot of stuff with that movie that has other issues. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a long story, but, that, but... It's a long story, yeah. There's no yeah. actual sex in that. There's bad things, though. But this one, like, they were going to make it a porno, or like they were going to make it a real movie with hardcore sex, and then it got cut, and then Crichton's like, man, the second it wasn't an ex, it was all over. I just That movie was bad. Mm. So, so we never got the Michael Crichton porno, unfortunately. You know, unless unless the director's cut a Jurassic Park out there, I don't, I don't know about, so... <laughs> Uh, th- but the only other person like working behind the scenes on this movie I really want to mention is Jerry Goldsmith because I love the mm. score to this movie. I own the score to this movie. <laughs> Wonderful. Because I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for all electronic scores. Oh yeah, and it's it's good stuff. This has some good. It's a good '80s. It's not like Delta Force quality good, which is like A plus plus, but it's a really good score by Goldsmith. And you know he did Alien, Planet of the Apes, Logan Run, a bunch of good sci-fi stuff, but. I Thank think you for mentioning because I was going to mention Logan's run at some point. Like, was that Goldsmith? Yes, it was, and that's also was an amazing, an amazing electronic soundtrack. That's not all electronic though. This is his first 100 percent electronic score. Okay, so yes, uh, somebody got him all the sequencers and all the synthesizers <laughs> and a drum machine, and he was in town. So, like, it's it's good. It's a good driving score, and if it so from experience, if you ever need something when you're working out or want to concentrate, the score to run away, good for that. I think the most interesting people involved in this movie are definitely in front of the camera. Who do we got starring in Runaway? Yeah, it's that's Tom Selleck from TV. Yeah, yeah, TV's Tom Selleck. What what was like? This is 1984. So what is what is Tom Selleck's career look like in '84? I mean, he's got to be riding high. Magnum PI is still on the air at this point, right? So it's in the prime. That's, yeah, that's a that's a hit show. That's that's he's on TV every night. Everyone sees him. Everyone loves him. Um, He's probably still a little bummed about, you know, missing out on Indiana Jones, but uh, <laughs> yeah. he's a huge star and he'll be he'll continue to be a huge star for many years to follow. I mean, he's still on TV today. I, I don't it's not a show I would ever watch, but he is still acting. He's still working. Yeah. Is, is Blue Buds is Blue Blood still on? No, I, that's still on. Oh, God. That I think show it is. is. That show is yeah. terrible. That show I was is... watching a, a YouTube series about copaganda. They had a, they had a whole episode about Blue Bloods, and I was watching it with my mouth agape. Like this is this is on TV. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty egregious. Like you know, yeah. I, I can I can enjoy it. Like I enjoy Law and Order. You know, and I yes. can I can get behind a good procedural, but Blue Bloods is just propaganda, and it's it's kind of gross. You know. Yeah, it's it's conservative. It's like it's a conservative uh, wet dream. It's like the cops, the cops are always right and always just, and and all these people, they just they just want to, you know, they just want to get money. They're they're lying. Yeah. <laughs> Tell, Sel looks pretty conservative. He's not a trumper, so at least that's that. But he, you know, he he's well known for being he's conservative. A, so that I'm pretty sure he's an NRA guy because I remember there was oh, he's a, a, he there was. He, He's not that yeah, he's not that vocal anymore. But there, yeah, what were you in, in the nineties, right? Yeah. Yeah, there was a he was like on I think it was Rosie O'Donnell's show and she just like oh, she yeah. jumped him and just you know, he was there to promote whatever he was there, you know, whatever work he was on, and she just laid into him and just talked about the NRA for the entire interview and he got pretty pissed off about that. And um 
so yeah, he's he's probably he's probably on that side of the spectrum. But I don't know if I don't know if he's a you know complete you know lunatic like another one of the co-stars in this movie. But he's <laughs> you know he's definitely over there. He's somewhere he, at the at the very least he's quiet about it. So mm. that nowadays, I don't think he's a super like he he he's not out there saying you know stuff with false flags to get guns away or whatever. And yeah. I actually. Even when that, I remember that Rosie O'Donnell thing, and that was in like in the late '90s, and I wasn't in, in finishing up high school or in college, and very liberal at that point. And even I thought Rosie O'Donnell was being an asshole <laughs> because yeah, I remember she, Howard Stern went to confront her about that too. It was kind of yeah, a, a fun thing because I I was a big Howard Stern fan at the time because she just kind of jumped him about it, and he's like, he's here to talk about a movie, like <laughs> calm the yeah. fuck down. He didn't I, do it, like. Right, you know, it's not like so. like he's not like he's Charlton Heston, you know, in um, uh, Bowling for Columbine, you know, like it wasn't like that kind of interview. No, like no, he, inter- he no. was there to promote some, you know, some <laughs> acting job. Yeah, leave his mustache alone. I tell you, uh, the 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 woman. The, we'll get to the other big stars in a minute, but it is interesting. There's one woman in this movie, uh, Cynthia Rhodes. She plays mm. Selleck's partner because Selleck in this movie plays Sergeant Jack Ramsey, and he is in charge. Man, how do we before we even get to the describing the world of this movie is so strange, I think, because like the robot expert, like robot co- cops that fight robots, right? That's the thing. Yeah, it's it's like imagine if a a police station, you know, they've got homicide, they've got vice, they've got traffic. So in in this world, there's the runaway division and their whole speciality is if a robot is broken, we show up and Fix it or shoot it. <laughs> yeah, and and I want to make one thing clear: the trailer is wrong. This movie is not set in the future. Oh, because if you look at like nothing else is futuristic for starters, but then also if you can zoom in on Ramsey's file, his birthday is like nineteen fifty. Oh, well, that, <laughs> so yeah, it's not the future. <laughs> It's not the future. It's not the future, and it's 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 just more. I I would read it more as an alternate reality, mm. you know, an alternate reality where robots are just. It's the robot future we wanted in the fifties. You know, you have the robots, and we'll we'll get into the individual robots types because they're pretty fun. Yeah, and, well, one thing I did like about the movie, uh, from a certainly from a writing and performance standpoint, is how everyone treats the robots as commonplace. You know, like yeah. a lot of movies that have this sort of angle where it's like, it's our world, but something's different. You you need to have this, someone's always there who's confused by everything so they can explain everything. But it's like, no, in this movie, every like she, the, you know, he's got a new partner who has to ask questions about the runaway division. But everyone in this world is totally familiar with and very cool with lots of robots in their lives. And yeah. they throw out jargon and like brand names and like serial numbers. And it's like, oh, did you have a new 2-4? No, I got a 2-0. And it's like, they all treat it like it's normal because like, yes, you know, in our world, we talk about smartphones like they're totally normal. Whereas if someone, yeah. you know, ever saw a smartphone before and they saw us carrying around these, you know, pocket sized computers, they'd be like, what the hell is this? What the hell is this? So I really, I like that vibe that they, they really pull off. Like it does feel like robots are just here in this world. Robots are totally just, that's just what, what we do. You know, it's yeah, more natural yeah. than say like iRobot or something. <laughs> or AI. Yeah, uh, Totally. Oh God! But yeah, and that I think they do put into one character, like his has a partner, Karen Thompson, played by Cynthia Rhodes, and 
she's there kind of to be the audience surrogate, right? She, especially right. early on. She's the one asking questions that she should probably know the answer to. And just to help fill the audience in. And she doesn't really do that much, I don't think, as a character. She's just kind of there to be a damsel and then save and then save be a reverse damsel later. That's pretty much right. I mean, she really grills him too, like a lot of personal stuff, which is kind of weird. Like it's the movie is yeah. not that short, but she really like when she meets him, it's like, oh, so how are you? Oh, so what you what you doing here? Are you okay? Like she's her her questions are are. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like not getting to know you kind of stuff. It's like, oh, are you married? Oh, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> yeah, it's like, hi, I'm Officer Thompson from the gratuitous exhibition department. We need to talk about your character so we can get it out of the way. Uh, but Cynthia Rhodes isn't in that many movies, but you might recognize her because she's in Dirty Dancing. And she is the dancer, the like P- Patrick Swayze's friend who I think has to get the abortion. Mm-hmm. And because Cynthia Rhodes was a dancer. And yeah, season flat. It's funny that the character, this character, this police character, casually mentioned that she w- she was going to be a dancer, but she hurt herself. And I feel like you know, you look at her, you look at her resume, and you know, Cynthia Rhodes obviously was a dancer because all her movies <laughs> involved dancing. Yeah, except this one except and this something. One. Except this one, yeah, and something called the Curse of the Crystal Eye. She she was also in Animotion. Animotion did the song Obsession. Remember that song? Like, yeah, oh, my obsession. The... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good one. But that's not her. <laughs> she was. On the one album that didn't have the ast- the ast- the lead singer of Animosin is named Astrid Plain. I know this. Um, okay. Yeah. Ask me anything about Animosin. But she's on the one album that doesn't have her. But she she was in Flashdance and Staying Alive and Xanadu and Runaway and Dirty Dancing. So one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> so, But I think for what her character has to do, she's fine. Yeah, I mean she's she's presentable. She's you know she's definitely I, I didn't look it up, but she she reads a lot a lot younger than Tom Selleck, which is gonna which is a little weird. But otherwise, like she's clearly an adult. She's not like a teenager or anything. Oh no, yeah, yeah. It's not creepy. It's not. I don't think it's at a point where it's like creepy weird. Like, no, he, uh, let he's me... actually really cool about that kind of most of, most of the movie. He's pretty cool about that kind of stuff, except when he meets uh, the other woman in the film. Then he gets he gets, he's, he <laughs> yeah. goes all horned. Yeah, we'll skip. Yeah, we'll, we'll skip ahead to her because the other woman in the film, Jackie Rogers, is played by Kirstie Alley. Yeah, very uh, early role for her. Yeah, it's you know it's before Cheers, right? Uh, and after Star Trek Two, right? Well, she was she got the uh, introducing credit on that movie. You know, yeah, that's introducing the first movie. Kirstie Alley as Savick. Yes, uh, she's in three movies in 1984. I have seen two of them. She is in this movie. Mm. She's in a movie called Champions, which is like a, a based on a true story cancer drama. Um, oh, it's not a sad movie, at least. Oh. What is that? Because okay. the guy's still the guy's still alive. So go that dude. Uh-huh. And a movie called Blind Date, which is not the comedy Blind Date with is Bruce Willis. No, it is not. I I recently saw this film. So my boyfriend and I were in a huge, huge Cheers thing during the during the the, the most of the pandemic. And we watched the entirety of Cheers in like eight months. So we were looking on Amazon Prime and there was a movie with her in it. And then I'm like, I've never heard of this. And I Googled it. And it's like the first if you type in blind date Kirstie Alley, the first thing you find out about it is she's naked in it. <laughs> so, oh. you know, I was like, well, I've never. OK, why not? We watched it. It is a terrible movie. It is oh. amazing. It's about a dude 
who it's about a dude who's kind of a stalker for his ex-girlfriend played by Lana Clarkson. Lana Clarkson's the actress who was murdered by um Phil Spector. And Ooh. she she was also in like Death Stalker and a few other movies. And he's he's stalking her. Her boyfriend chases him. He gets hit by it. He hits his head on a tree and goes blind. <laughs> a doctor played by the dude who played Dave in 2001 installs <laughs> an electronic device through the dude's Walkman so he can see electronically. And then using that renewed vision, he tries to stop a serial, a serial killer. What the hell? It is... <laughs> it is... It is aesthetic as hell. Like there's a scene where he's playing Breakout on the 2600 with like eight TVs at the same time. Like, oh it, man, half the movie could be a vaporwave gif. It is terrible. It is atrocious. I highly recommend watching it. It's on Amazon Prime also, and she's barely in it. She wears she is she wears this top that it's like if she sneezed, she'd be half naked. Type of thing. Oh, you know? you know what? I have heard of this once because uh, Marina Sirtis, uh, uh, oh, Diana yeah, from Next Generation is in it. Yes, I forgot about that. Oh, not, yeah. You know, not, not her best work. I would say it's not as good as Death Wish 3, <laughs> which she's also in. She gets she she gets raped and dies off screen from shame. <laughs> <laughs> Death. One day I will one I want to do a whole series of every Death Wish film because we, we watched. I love all of uh, go to record. I love four. I think four is I think four is great. I, three is amazing. Death Wish three is a masterpiece of crap. With all oh, that anyway, that's a whole. We'll we'll put a pin in that. Okay, but I gotta say, hearing that Christiane did three different movies in 1984, I think I understand now why she didn't come back to play Savick in Star Trek three. She was she was too busy. Yeah, apparently, yeah, and also they weren't gonna pay her shit. Yeah, that too. Everybody knows her for Cheers, and her her biggest movie is Look Who's Talking. Mm. I think Christy Alley is fantastic on Cheers, uh, playing a pathetic character, and she's serviceable on Look Who's Talking. I think she's terrible in this, but it's not her fault. Yeah, she she plays a really weird character who's like somehow in danger all the time, but also hates the cops, doesn't want to tell the cops anything, and is super eager to get back to the person who's trying to kill her. And spoilers. He, he kills, kills her. her. <laughs> like, instantaneously. Yeah, almost yeah. immediately. Yeah, you never really get her motivations. This script has a lot of problems. I don't know what I want to get there. I, wanna, I really want to use this movie as a way to dissect bad script writing, but <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, her character does nothing but whine and get naked. Mm. Uh, but you don't see anything, because you, you just see her bruised back, and you get to see tom Selleck mac on her like mm. first time he sees her wow she's attractive <laughs> it's like thanks tom yeah. Selleck. i didn't then, know that then he promptly runs into the room with her and like tries to help her does a bad job of it but uh i gotta give him credit in that scene where he's doing a lot of diving over desks and stuff tom's doing his own stunts in those scenes i thought that was pretty cool yeah, you know you know he's diving yeah. over desks and knocking things over like that you can you could break something doing that <laughs> well he has the power of the mustache as a sealed <laughs> To protect him, I really like Tom Selleck's mustache. It's gonna come. It's come up. It's, it, the name of this. The, the name of this recording session is called Tom Selleck's mustache. So, I'm a fan. Yeah, it's an icon. See, yeah, it's it's iconic iconic stash. I would say Kirstie Alley's best movie and her best performance is in a movie that you cannot find called Shoot to Kill, which yeah, came I don't out. know this one. This movie is fucking great. 
It came out in 1988. It stars and I think might be directed by Sidney Poitier oh. and um, Tom Berenger. And hey. yeah, let me, I want to double. I want. I don't want to get my uh, Sidney Poitier factoid wrong. There. Let me let me double check and make sure he directed that. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Roger Spottiswood directed that. He Roger Spottiswood okay. directed 48 Hours. <laughs> he 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 wrote 48 Hours and directed Tomorrow Never Dies. It's a bad guy. I forgot who plays the bad guy. It also has uh, Richard Mauser from uh, The Thing. He's the guy, the dog guy in The Thing. Um, but anyway, uh, Sidney Poitier plays an FBI agent who's tracking a serial killer, diamond thief person. The guy goes into the woods on a hiking trip with Kirstie Alley as a guide. And like, there's like, the, you, you don't know who the killer is at this point. And Sidney Poitier hires Tom Berenger as like a mountain man to go find them. And so it's kind of like a lethal weapon situation, much more serious. And Kirstie Alley has to like use her wits to stay up to, to convince this killer that he needs her alive. And mm-hmm. it is a gr- I haven't seen it in a long time. I remember loving it. I watched it a ton. It's very fun. Sydney Poitier is great in it because it's Sydney, you know, Sydney Poitier, and Todd. It's good Behringer. Good. If you could find that movie, watch it. I can't find it. I've been trying. If it ever's in print, it'll be in this podcast because <laughs> it's a great movie. That sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's, she's very good in that. I don't think she's been in anything good since Cheers. <laughs> no, I mean she had she had weight problems, and then she had career problems, then she had TV problems, and in this day at this point, I think she just had brain problems. She's just she's out there. Yeah, so he went full Trumper. He's a full Trumper Scientologist. I mean, I don't, you know, the weight stuff, I don't give a shit about that. I mean, I thought that is, that was unfair to her. Uh, but I can still say she sucks as a person. <laughs> it has nothing mm. to do with, with her weight. She is in that Villa the Dan remake with Christopher Reeve, directed by John Carpenter, that I've never seen. Uh, it's, it's one of the only Carpenter films I haven't seen, because I heard it was oh, terrible. Oh, yeah, Wow. Is that, that's like ninety, right? Yeah, it's it's. I think it's one of we one of Christopher Reeve's last movies before his accident. Yeah, right. It's it's after Superman, but before. Oh yeah, 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 yeah before obviously before he hurt himself. But <laughs> obviously, I, I want to say it's like nine, like ninety, give yeah, or take. something like that. Yeah, but it's not a good movie from what I've heard. It's it's not as good, but it's 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 got some cool stuff in it. I remember liking it as a kid, but again. I'll have to check it out sometime. But the only other person from this movie I really want to talk about is G W Bailey, who <laughs> has an unnamed character as just the chief of the police. Sure. You might. You might. Who who is who is that? Nope. Everyone right now. Everyone's like, who the hell is C.W. Bailey? Diamond. Who is that? Well, this is this is nineteen eighty four. So he also played a police officer in nineteen eighty four in Police Academy. He is the evil uh, captain, Captain Harris, in Police He's, Academy, and he yes. made I don't know how many movies, how many more Police Academy movies after this, but <laughs> yeah. So in eighty four, he he played a cop, uh, you know, in two different movies, and one of them became a meal ticket for him. <laughs> I also remember him as the. Uh, the sort of incompetent uh, security guard in uh, Mannequin. Oh yeah, shit. And he's like, God, he's also the it. evil like SWAT team captain in uh, Short Circuit. God, yeah, he got, the he one who wants around. to shoot the uh, shoot the robot. Yeah, he's also in a good horror movie called Warning Sign with um, Kathleen Quinlan, Yafet Kodo, and uh, 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 Sam Watterson, and about like a bioweapon that turns people into zombies. And he's kind of like the idiot who causes it in the first place. That's a great movie. Yeah, whenever I see that dude, I want to punch him in the face. Yeah, he's he's definitely he's got that like he's got that you know 
what do you want to say? Like, um, almost like a William Zabka quality, you know, like he's, if he's, yeah. if he's not there and he's not the villain, you've miscast him. He's got to, he's, he's got to be, you know, he's so smug looking. Right. He's so smug. He's so smug. Like you just want to, yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm, maybe he's a great guy. He probably is. <laughs> he, he got a lot of work. A, so he, he must, people, people must like being around him off camera, you know? Yeah. He can do the one thing really, really well. He's the, he's, to what Christopher Walken is to creepiness, G.W. Bailey is to being a smug a smug prick cop. So mm. good on him. Only other person in this movie of note is Joey Kramer. That's the kid from Flight of the Navigator. Like that's really about it. Like there's not. Oh, oh no, we forgot the main one. We forgot the bad guy. Oh my god, we forgot. Well, we, we we mentioned him earlier, but yeah, it's uh it's a legit rock star. <laughs> oh yeah, who's who is the bad guy? I mean that is Gene. I had to look it up actually. So this is Gene Simmons, and this is like pretty shortly after Kiss did the whole "we don't wear makeup anymore" thing, right? That's like yes, eighty two, eighty three, or uh, Kiss took their makeup off. I am not a Kiss expert. Right. Uh, they definitely did it in the in the early MTV era because yeah. they did an unmasking thing with Triple J. Mm. I want to say, uh, yeah, nineteen eighty was unmasked. So oh, okay. That is that is the the album unmasked and then but no I think they're still masked and unmasked I think yeah Killers Creatures of the Night yeah oh I'm sorry no it's it's <clears throat> lick it up <laughs> uh eighty three that is the I think that's the album on the cover that they don't have makeup on and oh okay with the title track lick it up yeah. But with that timeline, it makes a lot more sense that, you know, he would he would be very interested in getting his face out there. Now that's like, oh, you know, I want to, you know, I, I'm not I'm no longer, you know, the demon. I like I'm I'm a guy. I, I look pretty evil without makeup on. So I, I could I could definitely be a villain in your movie. I, I don't I don't want to be a demon. I'll, I'll just play dynamic characters in, in movies. My favorite <laughs> thing about Gene Simmons here is that I found I couldn't find much about this movie's production, but I found some interviews with Gene Simmons. And the quote that I love is him saying, I can't imagine being 50 years old, strumming a guitar and singing about your promiscuous affairs. <laughs> so at the time, I think he wanted to get out of, you know, he, he thought he was too old to be a rock star. Now, Kiss, they're still touring? Or they were still touring? <laughs> like... If they're not touring, they're doing something so they can keep selling all that merchandise. They must be doing something. Yeah, they Whether it's a virtual stage or NF NFTs. Maybe I don't know. They're they're doing something out there. They they must be. Yeah, they they. I think yeah, I think their last tour maybe had to be uh, rescheduled because of the you know the virus. But mm. uh, that I think that they did. They are still doing their last tour. And Gene Simmons is of at this point seventy one years old. So there's that. Gene Simmons is in three films of note. He is, I think, maybe just three films, <laughs> other than other than Kiss meets Phantom of the Park, which is a whole other thing. He's in this movie. It, at the time, people called it his acting debut because I think everyone collectively, as a people, wanted to forget the Kiss movie. Then he followed this up with a movie I just mentioned in the previous episode of this podcast, and maybe one before. I think three in a row now. Never Too Young to Die, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I have not. Probably not. 
Never. I, this, I apologize to everybody who has to hear me describe this movie again, but Never Return to Die is a movie starring John Stamos. Uh, his dad, played by George Lazenby, is an international spy who's not James Bond, who was murdered, and the agencies has to, the agency recruits George Lazenby's partner, played by Vanity, <laughs> uh, from Last Dragon. Recruits John Stamos to fight Gene Simmons, who plays, and I apologize if this is offensive, he plays a self-described hermaphrodite who named Ragnar, who wants to poison LA's water supply. <laughs> Real high concept picture. <laughs> it is a fantastic movie. It's a fantastic movie. It is it is super. Ragnar has like a killer fingernail bit. It's oh, it's so. He has a song. It's so good. It's so good. Oh my it's lord! So good. Uh, get drunk. Get sit faced and watch Never Too Young to Die, and you'll have a great time. He's also in uh, One and Dead or Alive, which is a Rutger Hauer movie that I have not seen, and I feel I have to see it because I've seen two Gene Simmons films. Why stop now? Might as well I complete mean. the set. Complete the set. He's great in this movie. <laughs> I think he's the he, best he, actor. He is in the very movie. good. I must say, his character doesn't have a lot going on because as soon as you meet him, he is clearly evil. He's evil like <laughs> from the get go. There's no mystery yeah. whatsoever in this picture. But it's Gene Simmons, and he looks he looks he looks vicious. He looks ready to kill everybody. He tries to kill everyone he meets, and uh, yeah, he goes for it. Absolutely, I, I give him I give him full credit. He's you know, I think as as rock star turns actor goes, he he goes he goes all in, and I, I can't fault anything anything for what, what, what it's all on screen. It's all on screen. Yeah, he he has the one like every review I read, like the good and the bad, and most of the reviews of this were either bad or like whatever. They were like Gene Simmons just starts stupid and ends great. Like he just owns the character so well and just looks that he doesn't do much but he just looks evil and he owns it and mm-hmm. yeah he's he's really fun in this movie i i think the only again the only fault to gene simmons is that you is the script again just like of christy alley because this movie okay, like so um so tom Selleck plays a cop who goes up to runaway robots and there's a robot nanny who kills its family and you find out that Gene Simmons did that. And then, so, okay, I'm going to ask you right now, why? <laughs> they were all, like, the family, it was, the family was a guy who worked with Gene Simmons at the computer company, and I think Gene Simmons was mm-hmm. going around killing all the people who worked with him at the computer company to get these chips. Now, what do the chips do? I think the chips are what make robots evil. Maybe. Okay, but why? <laughs> uh, I think he wants to sell them. Maybe I think I think it's a it's a, it's an arms deal kind of situation because eventually they yeah. they they catch him in a hotel room and I think he's trying to sell the chips to someone who but then he murders them anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, my point is, and, I, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot there, but my, my point is like Steve Skimmer's character motivation is that he's evil. It seems like he, he. It seems like he's in it for the murder at this point. <laughs> yeah, he's in it for the, you know for the lols. You know, he, uh, it's too bad he didn't have you know four chan. 
to be a shithead instead of, you know, murdering people with robots. He he doesn't have like he's just there to be a bad guy. And that's like my 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 feelings with this film is I do enjoy this movie, but it is like it is trite script writing 101 top to bottom. Yeah, at some point they at some point they look him up like the cops look him up and and uh, and uh, G.J. Bailey police chief is like, this is a bad guy. And it's like. He has like a, he's like a, uh, like a an arrest record, and I'm like, so how is this guy just walking around and getting computer jobs? Isn't he like we all agree he's evil? Even yeah. the cops say he's evil. <laughs> yeah, he's just evil, and it's it's like he has no motivation other than being evil. Kirstie Alley's character, like we said, has like what is she even doing? Like she's into him. She's into him, but is but, yes. but he obviously beats her. Yes. And she's into him, but she's scared of him. And she knows he's going to kill her at some point, but she clearly doesn't want anyone to help her because I don't know. Does she think, does she think she's, maybe she thinks he's going to kill her anyway. I don't know. Maybe she, yeah. maybe she thinks she's going to get one last dick in before he kills her. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's the tongue. Okay. The yeah, he doesn't, he yeah. doesn't show the tongue in this movie. It's, 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 it's properly stored. That's, you're not wrong. Yeah, she she she's just there. She's there to be Christy Alley. So, like every in my opinion with this movie, every character serves a purpose for the script, and not for the story. Not for they they serve a purpose to advance the story. We move from any real real emotional motivation. Quick, we can shout out. So, like the the guy, the the murder scene that where the movie opens, or not? It's not the first scene, but where the guy, the family get killed. That guy, the computer office guy, is one of those perpetual, you know, that guy character actors, Chris Mulkey. Okay, who, uh, I looked him up. I look well. He first of all, he was on Magnum PI, so he already knew Tom. But <laughs> all right, he's um, he's one of the hosts in The Hidden. Oh fuck! Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's great. Uh, he had a recurring <laughs> role on Twin Peaks. Okay. Um, he plays. He's got a pretty big role in one of a it definitely a movie. You know, if you haven't seen it, you should probably consider it for this show called Quiet Cool about murderous weed dealers in the Pacific Northwest. That sounds dope. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's weed. Oh yeah, but it's you're evil right. Weed. In, yeah, he's in mysterious skin. He's in yeah. Bullworth. He's in Full Moon Rising, which is a good vamp, uh, Boywolf movie. He's in Behind Still Every working. Line. Still he's, in the, he's in yeah, yeah. Good for hey, good for him. All right, yeah, okay. And I'm that just, guy, like, he's he clearly sees. You know, he comes home to find out his his family's been murdered, uh, but not his baby, at least not yet. And then, like, <laughs> he can see that Gene Simmons is already there, and he just runs away from Gene Simmons. And then later on, it's like, oh. You can't take me outside. Gene Simmons will kill me. And they go outside and then he runs away. So Gene Simmons can easily kill him. <laughs> yeah. It but none of his motivations make much sense. <laughs> Gene, Simmons, Gene Simmons kills him in the coolest way possible. <laughs> With a homing missile. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. 
the gun that suits homing missiles that are targeted your body's unique heat signature. <laughs> now, I got to say, the so <laughs> whenever he shoots those things, you get a really cool like first person bullet cam. Yeah. And and I would bet money. I would bet money that Michael Crichton saw Evil Dead and uh he said, Ooh. "Oh, we got to do that." That's an you know? excellent point. That's an I didn't think about that. That's a good point. Evil yeah. Dead is like 81, 82. Like it, it, it first came yeah, out yeah. 81 it's, it's and be- people it's probably saw this. it, you know. Yeah. And then but then to go even further from that, I bet whoever the hell made I Come in Peace probably remember this movie and thought that was cool <laughs> and gave that movie, you know, that movie's killer has like was it? It's like it's like CDs, right? CDs that come out and kill people, like from afar. They chop your head off or something. Like it's. <laughs> I'm I'm still CDs. laughing because you. I'm still laughing because you mentioned that I come in peace. Uh, you, you go, go in pieces. pieces. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that movie's awesome. Yeah. Um. Well, I, I lost track because you mentioned that I come in peace, but yeah, Gene Simmons kills that guy after the guy says, "You'll kill me." That guy exists. That character does that solely to show the the reason that character does that is so you can see Dean Simmons kill someone with those bullets, right? There's yeah. no other reason. There's no reason. He could tell the cop in the hotel why I can't go outside. No, if I go outside, Dr. Charles Luther, who forced me to work with him to make some evil technology, he has heat-seeking bullets that can kill me. He never says this. <laughs> You know, Cynthia Rhodes' character exists only to serve the audience and ask questions the audience needs to know. Right. And then, then she seems, she's the only person who gets shot by one of the things and doesn't die. So you get an emotional scene where she, they, they have to take the bullet out of her. Yes, the bullet doesn't go off simply because, simply so you can get an emotional scene between them mm. to, to, to somewhat ground an incredibly forced rom- romance subplot that is entirely one way mm. with Cynthia Rhodes macking on Tom Selleck. And, yo, I get it. But it's not reciprocated at all until the very last scene of the movie because Christiali's character exists only to service as a wedge between them, really, and to serve up a scene with a cool car chase. Like, Everything she does makes no sense for her character, <laughs> and not not at all, not at all. And and Ramsey, Tom Selleck's character, very first scene in the movie, you find out he has a fear of heights. Yeah, Chekhov's ag- agoraphobia, I'd call it. <laughs> yes, and uh, ac- ac- acrophobia, agoraphobia. Which one is it? Oh no, that's right. Ac- acrophobia is heights. Agoraphobia is going outside. Okay, and arachnophobia yeah. is spiders. Okay, yes. yes. Um, Which is also important because this movie has robot spiders. Oh, we'll get, we'll, 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 I want to do a robot, a robot breakdown. We'll get there. Yes. But, um, but like the second, they, 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 as I said in my notes, they foreshadow his heights fear so much. It's not foreshadowing, it's foreshadowing. Like it is beating you over the head with it. Like, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? He's scared of heights. Halfway through the movie. Did you remember he's scared of heights? In case you forgot he's scared of heights, here's another scene at a construction site. Okay, the reason he's scared of heights, the he's scared of heights at a construction site. That happened earlier before, and that's why his partner died. In case you forgot, here's a reminder. And then where is the conclusion? <laughs> I think the same building. <laughs> <laughs> Again. And he has to go, he has to conquer his fear of heights to to save his kid and 
then magically fall in love with um, uh, Cynthia Rhodes after Kirstie Alley is unceremoniously killed. And his, the first thing he asks Cynthia Rhodes after they make out is, can you cook? Yeah, he is so scared of heights. I don't know how he even does, does his job anymore. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. It's well, like the movie the movie implies that he took the transfer to this division somehow because it, I guess it would involve less heights or whatever. But, yes. you know, he rides in helicopters, which scares him. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, this is a big – they don't say what city this is. It, it was shot in Vancouver, I think you said. but Shot in Vancouver, like, it, yeah. Shot in Vancouver. Yeah, on camera, they never say what it is. But it's a big city with tall buildings. Like, yeah. you're going to have to do your job. You have to go in these buildings eventually. But, yeah, he can't do that. So it's like – and, you know, his backstory is you know, much like Spider-Man. He couldn't do his job one day and then someone died after the fact, you know, and then and he blames himself for that. So, you know, it's but it's not yeah. even with with great power comes great responsibility. It's like just with basic, you know, the, the job has basic requirements. You're going to have to go upstairs at one point to do your job. Yeah. It's like if I want to if I want to work for the post office, but I don't want to lift anything like, no, no, you're going to have to lift things up to, to deliver the mail. Just, you're going to have to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and he's he he he's obviously a computer a robot expert. He like he 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 took classes. He said, but mm. he's not uh, he's not the best cop. I mean, because at one point they even have a psychic come in. Like there's a, there's a psychic yeah. in this movie. That is the weirdest moment because like in what <laughs> they, they imply the psychic is just always there. Oh, we had yeah she was working something else. So you talk to her like she's a psychic on call. <laughs> yeah, is she on retainer? It's it's, it's Miss Cleo's distant cousin. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So like basically what we're trying to say is you don't come to this movie for the script. You I yeah. think you come to it for Gene Simmons and for the world building and the robots because the robots are some pretty cool 80s robots. The first robots the farm bot. Yeah. Runaway runaway box. It, it, it's it's mowing down cornfield apparently. You can't it's hard to catch and then it, it self-destructs at one point. <laughs> Mowing down cornfield sounds like a euphemism. Anyway, um, <laughs> you're out yeah, mowing down cornfield. Yeah, uh, yeah. These these robots whose job it is to just I think just get caterpillars and kill them. I I do love this world's. It's 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 it is very much the 1950s view of what we thought robots would do, right? Mm. Yeah, because then we have the farm bots, and then there's the robot maids. The uh, there's the killer robot made with a gun. <laughs> Yeah, that is one that I think probably worked better in the script because when you actually see it on screen, it's like, it's you know, it looks like a Roomba, but it has like one arm, yeah, with a cr- <laughs> like almost like a crane kind of arm, and somehow you're supposed to believe that this one crane arm managed to pick up a gun, wield a power, wield a gun, a powerful gun, and then also I guess it reloads it somehow. Like how it's only got one claw. <laughs> yeah. It's impossible to do that. It looks like a Xerox missing with 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 a right. Magnum forty five. Yeah, it's ridiculous. With, with my two hands, I don't think I can handle a gun as well as that robot does. Well, you know, he has the vice grip, so it's tight. It's, it's okay. Rob- it does. It's locked on. I'll grant it. It's yeah. locked on. Yeah, yeah. And then as the other robot made Lois, like that, like do do the robots have personalities or just are they? Is the voice synthesis really? Are they just like a Hatsune Miku? Like what's going on now? I think they're program. I mean, I think it's like. Uh, I mean. Geez, this is eighty four. So one year later, you get uh, Paulie's robot in Rocky Four. <laughs> the the ultimate eighties robots. Yeah, the He's... the end. Like, it, it's it's sort of it's sort of humanoids. I guess you'd call that one an android. Um, and that one, you know, has has a personality, and, you, and he could change it to from a from a a bot, you know, a, a robot version to sort of a, a, a smooth lady version. So, yeah, I think it's probably yeah. 
they, they've got some kind of AI thing going on because because Tom Sug talks to it like it's almost like a surrogate mother, you know? Yeah, yeah. And they, they do like, they do the reveal. Like at first he calls he calls and speaks to Lois unseen, and you think he's having a conversation with a human being. Yeah, Lois. And then calls you meet him. Lois, and she's like, yeah, she's like a computer tower. Yeah, on like she's like a again, it's like a giant copy machine that that cooks that cooks dinner. And yeah, like almost all. That's like I say, almost all, almost all the robots in this movie are just like boxes. Yeah, like, the, the only <laughs> one that's sort of not that are the spiders, and they and they look they look creepy as hell. Yeah, we'll get to the spiders in a second. Uh, there's and there's the, the construction bots are just, are just boxes, and right the yeah they're all this giant bot the office bot that for some reason has a taser. <laughs> This that can box. be turned up as a variable power levels. It's, yeah, it's from from uh, what was the not what was the one before stun sting sting to stun I think. Yeah, yeah, but at one point, it, yeah, it, apparently when it goes rogue, it, it can just knock Tom Selleck over a desk. Yeah, uh, the movie does have drones. Yeah, that that was wild. Like that's pretty much what you know what they actually use them for now. Like he he's like, oh, we got to find the robot inside this house. Uh, let's just send send in this wire, you know. Send in this wireless flying camera so we can look at the robot. But then the robot shoots the camera. Yeah. Although they don't call them drones. They call them floaters, which is a much less good name, but it's funny. But it has a look, you know, like it's basically like it's basically like a propeller with a small body around it. So it's very yeah. drone like in its appearance. Yeah, it looks like a modern day drone. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. And the 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 little miniature car robots, those just look like Roombas that blow up. <laughs> Some of the design of the robots, like the small, it's kind of freaky how like they look like something that would actually function now, which is kind of cool. You have to wonder, Michael Crichton is obviously a sci-fi kind of dude. You wonder if maybe in writing, preparing for this movie, if he didn't talk to some people, it's like, what do you think? What do you think is coming down the pipeline? Kind of like uh, Spielberg did oh, for totally. uh, Minority Report. Like yeah. maybe maybe he kind of like in, in building the story, he talked to some people who gave him a forecast of like, because... Oh my God! Speaking of Tom Selleck, Tom Selleck narrated that famous AT&T commercial from like '92 oh, that totally shit, predicted almost right. everything yeah. we have today. Yeah, that was Tom Selleck. Holy shit! Wow, what a coincidence! Man. Yeah, because like, he, like you know, can you imagine paying a toll without slowing down? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, we do it all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, you set a modest prediction, and when it works out, you're a genius. Can you imagine watching? I remember one of those pre- predicted pay per view. It predicted on-demand mm. video. Yeah, those commercials Absolutely. were very pressy. Yeah, those commercials are crazy. Have you ever borrowed a book from thousands of miles away across the country Just your head. Next without stopping for directions or sent someone a fax from the beach? company that'll bring it to you AT&T the the movie here predicted drones kind of automated kiosks conversations of robots almost like echo cuz he talks to the one with the retina scan this movie didn't predict sure. retina scans retina scans already existed but they were they were brand new self there's a self driving car that has a robot <laughs> <laughs> like a, yeah. a, a plastic person driving it, and yeah, one it's of like the Johnny cops, Cab. yeah, like it is like Johnny Cab. Yeah, man, that's a good movie too. And tablets, there's a tablet in this movie. Totally, 
yeah. So a lot of uh, you know, I think Michael Crichton did his homework in that regard, talking to probably talked to like futurists or technology type people and said, "What what do you think's coming in the future?" And I imagine one of them said, "Robot spiders." Filled with acid. <laughs> Those are the best thing. That was as a kid. That's what stuck with me. Then, like, because for technically they have six legs, but they're spiders. I mean, come on, like, no one. They're not robot ants. Like, that's not cool. But yeah, man. The man. The I. The spiders. Yeah, they're ambulatory. I mean, you get the impression that they're they're either really good puppets or they they do in fact they were in fact being remotely controlled somehow. I don't know, but like they hop around, they crawl on things, they jump on things. They have a needle so they can inject acid in things, but they can also self-destruct and just burn things. Yeah. And most people who get killed in this movie get leapt upon, injected, and then the thing blows up. So it's like, you are very dead when the spider kills you. <laughs> yeah, because despite, well, people will die in this movie from robot spiders or heat-seeking bullets. Or right. you're kissed, yeah, or you're kissed, yeah, you just get knifed in the back of the fucking head. Like, <laughs> unceremoniously. Um, yep. But I... The, but those two cops die from the robot spiders for no reason in near the end of the second act. They're in the bathroom. They are not going to find anything of note. They're, there's nothing there for them to find, but they're still killed by robot spiders because we have to show people being killed by the robot spiders. Again, going right. back to the, to the whole, to the whole, like everything in this script is written in service of itself, not for any actual reason, but any right. chance it's, it's not, for it's not clever. It's not no, for yeah. Like I said, it's not foreshadowing. It's like, oh, here's this thing you need to see. Here's this thing you need to see. Here's this thing you need yeah. to see. And now here's all the stuff you needed to see. Mm-hmm. It it is crazy how this movie has such a great idea with the robot culture, and then it just it just wraps. It, but that idea is just wrapping for just by the numbers, police, you know, detective, MacGuffin filled whatever story. It's it's. It's a real shame, I think, because with this awesome world, you could have done so much more. It just occurred to me, one one robot type you, you forgot earlier. At one point, they're outside, and they order sushi from a robot. Oh, yes. The sushi bot. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, we live here in Japan. You know, if, if, you, if you go out to a conveyor belt sushi place, like, there's a robot behind the scenes making that sushi. I mean, pe- there's people helping, but a robot is there dispensing the rice, getting it all portioned, getting it all served, like... Robots are inc- are instrumental to the conveyor belt sushi business. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are correct. And uh, it wouldn't be an 80s movie without a gratuitous, they're eating sushi scene, I think, too, right? <laughs> yeah, in, in some ways, yeah, it, it's, there's some, it's weird. It's like there is, there's not really a Japan panic going on. Maybe it's too early for that. But there is a sort of panic going on because um, they treat the media with a real oh. a real heavy hand. Like the media is evil in this movie. Like this the, the movie, media gets people killed. This movie hates the hates reporters. Like yeah. Michael Crichton must have had a bad interview <laughs> with somebody and he was like, you fuck this guy. It's real like it's like, you know, the, the like Tom Tom Selleck, whatever, Jack Ram I've seen Tom Selleck, but yeah. Jack Ram, he has a very contentious contentious relationship with one of these reporters who keeps asking him questions about things that are like ongoing investigations. Uh they send a cameraman into an active crime scene behind the officer and he gets shot right away. It's like, you, you can't do that. Like you literally cannot do that. But you have to do that to show the audience that the, that the robot can kill someone. 
Right. Like, shouldn't you as the media, yeah. shouldn't you have your own, like, robot camera? Like, the cops have robot yeah. cameras. You should have your own. Yeah. Maybe they count that union's too strong and they, they stop <laughs> the robot cameras from coming in. Yeah. yeah this you... it, it, It's a very 80s, like, you know, certain groups of people hate the media now for different reasons. You, you know, right-wing people have their bullshit fake news thing. And, you know, other people have, you know issues with media like not covering stuff or biases the 80s view of the media that was negative was very much apolitical and was very much more like the media takes things too far and doesn't care about victims and is a sensationalist and this this movie is like that to a t it's crazy Mm, it's definitely (laughs) playing into that but i also felt like um so the whole panic in the movie where the, you know, when the, when the cops realize that this guy has made a gun that shoots homing missiles, I feel like their reaction to that weapon, it reminds me of the sort of the early nineties panic about the so-called cop killer bullets. Oh that? man. Yeah. I was thinking about that when we were watching, what, what, what were those? I guess the idea is that somehow they don't like, they, I guess they, they go through body armor or somehow. I don't yeah, know. I think the cop killer bullets also they shrapnelized better. Probably, and, yeah. Like and hollow so, point something, like they break yeah, apart, like they go that. through things or you know, like dumb or they're coated yeah. in porcelain or something or <laughs> yes. yeah. I don't know. They spray Who because knows if they spray real. span on they 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 spray that Teflon stuff on them. I don't know. Uh <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Yeah, but yeah, there's that too. So this so Tom Selleck in a strangely anti gun film. Basically, he's got a laser in this movie. He uses laser <laughs> guns. <laughs> When this movie came out, it bombed. <laughs> and yeah. it came out, it was funny because it came out at the end of the year in 1984, December 14th. And back then, that was not a huge, huge time for movies like it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that week was stacked. So, in night, I love again, box, thanks to Box Office Mojo. I, I, I always love running down the top tens for if, if, if a movie came out at this in after Star Wars because you can do that. Number sure. one movie, number one movie, December 14th, 1984, Beverly Hills Cop in its second week. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop sure. would be number one, I think, for 15. It, Beverly Hills Cop was number one and it broke the record until the Titanic, like it was, you know, a monster. And it's in the top 20 well into the next year, well into the next year. Number two in its first week, Dune. Uh, nice. That would, yeah, that would go away quickly. Uh, six million. Number three in its second week, City Heat, which is I think the Clint Eastwood Michael Keaton movie. I think that no one remembers. Does not, not ring good. any bells for me. Sorry. No, don't don't worry about it. Then number four, twenty oh uh, two thousand ten, The Young Make Contact, second week, four million. Not a bad movie. Then the Cotton Club. Uh, first week three million. Starman. Speaking of Carpenter earlier, Starman. That's one. I, that's one I always liked as a kid. I, I think I definitely saw that one. If I was in the movies, if I was in the movies this weekend, I probably went. I was probably seeing Starman. 
Yes, but Starman only made $2.8 million that week, but it still made almost three times what Runaway did. Runaway opened in seventh place with $1 million. Mm. Uh, it actually did better the next week because nothing came out, and it made one point two. And then the following week, it actually did even better, made one point four. But as a whole, no, it completely bombed. And the critics were very middling; like no one seemed to hate it. It's kind of like us; everyone's kind of the same way. It's like the plot's terrible. It has great. It has really good ideas, and then this kind of vanished. And like you said, went went to HBO forever. <laughs> It is, it is also funny that it came out the same year as Terminator. <laughs> yeah. You know. It's funny how many other films in 1984 kind of overlaps in theme and, and, and stars and just tone in general. Something with yeah, the water. Yeah. And yeah, just oh, also in the same week as this, Terminator, Terminator in its eighth week almost made as much money as this movie did in its first week. Something called Falling in Love, which I never heard of as number nine. And then Chuck Norris bringing up the rear. <laughs> with Missing an Axon in its fifth week in December <laughs> of 1984, kind of showing you the uh, the um, the caliber of films we had at the end of the year that weren't Oscar winners. So It's hard to imagine a reality where a Chuck Norris film in its fifth week is still in the top ten box office. <laughs> hey, man, like, I forgot what episode was I was doing, but there was an episode we d- I did that, like, Code of Silence was, like, the number two movie in America. Those canon films would open pretty big and then sink like stones. And mm. I imagine Missing an Action did the same thing. You know, it was, it was also at a time period where you could be in the top ten and not make a million dollars. Also true. Missing an Action is number ten with six with seven hundred and sixty two thousand dollars, not a million. So the times they have changed. And there's also also back mm. when a movie could stick around for a long time. Nowadays, a movie has to make its money in like three weeks, and yeah. then it's on video in two months. So. You know, just different times with box office, but like we said, Runaway found I think found its its audience on video, and it I would say it's kind of like a B level eighties cult film. Like it's not everyone, it's not anyone's go to. What do you think? Like, do you know anyone who likes this movie or like knows this movie? Is it just us? <laughs> I think it's. It's one of those movies that, like, if you saw if you saw it, it probably stuck with you because it it has it has you know what I mean it, it has a look, you know. Oh yeah, he's Michael Clayton was a good director. Yeah, like it, yeah. it it's competently it's competently made. I I don't, I don't I, yeah like the story isn't good, but it is competently made <laughs> in the sense that like it's it all connects you know like like there's no like dramatic swerve where you know someone turns out to be an alien or something like it's just, it's all. It all fits together. Like, as you said, you know, you, you, you lamented that the script is sort of, you know, things in the script only occur to serve the script itself, but like it does work. It's mm-hmm. just kind of dumb, <laughs> but well, it does like I'll, everything, everything comes up and it makes sense in that context. It just kind of like, why did you do that? No human being would actually behave that way. And like, yeah, it's just to justify what happens later, but it does justify what happens later. So in that sense, like the pieces fit together, they're just kind of like dumb pieces. <laughs> Well, you know, to the film's credit, like I have as a kid, I watched this movie a lot. All the mm. criticism I had, I never thought of then. I watched this movie again with a friend like two years ago. I didn't think of any of those negative things. It wasn't until I watched it this time, kind of with a more critical eye, especially having watched a lot of movies for this podcast and really thinking about the script. And then thinking, then it kind of hit me 
of like, oh, wait, none of this really makes sense. And so I imagine on your first run through, it's probably pretty good. <laughs> it's just the kind of movie that doesn't hold up to repeat viewings other than the cool look. Because like it, it, does, it looks good. I even think it has good cinematography. It kind of has this blue tone to the whole movie. It's kind of hard to explain, and it it gets the it, it it has a good look to it overall. I think Michael Crichton's probably an underrated director. I would say he's more like his ratio of good jobs directing films to bad jobs versus his novels is probably better. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah when when he had, when he had his hands on products, I think they they turned out pretty good. Yeah. But uh, can you think of any other films, like if people like this or they think it's a fun movie, other than Westworld, <laughs> um, what would you recommend? Can you think of anything like this? Well, as I said, it's been a long time, but Looker reminded me of this movie a little bit. So okay. I, was, I was not surprised to find out that they had this creative uh, commonalities. Um I would say if you like police, if you like police car chases with tiny cars against big cars, I would say watch the Deadpool. Oh yeah, the Deadpool. The dead. That's the the last Dirty Harry movie. Yeah, right. That's the end yeah. of Dirty Harry. Um, with Jim Carrey. With yeah, small role for Jim Carrey in that one. <laughs> a small role for Guns and Roses too. Yeah, and, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Uh, it's got it's yeah it's, it's got some it's it's not about robots but the killer mm-hmm. does use model cars to kill people and there's a and good fun. scene where there's a good there's a good scene where you've got a car chase in san francisco of human car versus model car and it's, it's, a, it's a good scene very good you have to watch deadpool again i haven't watched deadpool probably since i was a kid uh i definitely saw it when it came out because again my dad was a great censor right well i mean it came out just the right time though like you know it had a lot of had a lot going for it uh, it had a lot of appealing characteristics, and uh, like Liam Neeson's in that one. I'm pretty sure. Shit, man, I have no recollection of anything. <laughs> you right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. And uh, I think it's Patricia Clarkson is the love interest slash yeah. reporter. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I just. Anyway, yeah, I it's yeah, it's kind of a stretch to link the two of them. But it's, w- when I was watching the 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 car chase scene, I was like, man, I should watch the Deadpool again. <laughs> hey, you know. When me going through all the Death Wish films, at least I I, I I have realized I may not like fascism in real life, but in movies I'm a fan. So maybe I'll watch Dirty Harry movies again, and I'll get to Deadpool. I I when I watch this, I'm reminded of Blue Thunder. Hmm. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, which is the Roy Scheider movie about the police, kind of an early warning about the militarization of police. Yeah, and, yeah. I don't remember when you recommended that movie on another episode of this podcast, but I remember I watched it because you recommended it, and I did mm. enjoy it. I probably on the uh, "Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia" episode because it has your favorite, my favorite, everyone's favorite, Warren, Warren Oates uh, as the grizzled police chief, right. and, and Roy yeah. Scheider from uh, maybe from uh, Sorcerer, perhaps. Maybe yeah, one of those. Could be, yeah, it could be either of those. Uh, <laughs> It's a I love Blue Thunder is a very good film and is not propaganda. It is very much critical of things cops do. And so I, I recommend that one. And it has for no reason Malcolm McDowell is a bad guy. No yes. reason why this snotty British man is working with the American military. None, no explanation, no reason. It's just I guess Christopher Walken was busy. <laughs> so they got him. But Anyway, 
I think, a little bit shorter today because as much as I do love Runaway, not a ton to talk about. And I was negative on this, but I do want to say if you haven't seen it, it is a fun movie. And I, and I, and I don't – and again, I owned – I have one point owned the score to this film on vinyl. So I do like it. It's just stupid. Yeah, and I mean, from, we've established at this point that anyone in the United States can watch this movie for free. So I think for free, it's absolutely, you know, if you've got an evening, go for it, you know? Yeah, for free, you can't go wrong. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. And if you're not, if you want to turn your brain off and watch Gene Simmons, like, gnaw on scenery with one look on his face for the entire film, and you want to appreciate a good mustache and see a lot of character actors and some awesome direction. And yeah, you know, you could do you could do worse. It's a fun it's a it's a good it's a good silly sci-fi. It's for eight for a decade that was known for some really great sci-fi. Runaway is not as good as those movies, but it's still <laughs> a fun film. I'm still underselling it. I'm still being a dick about it. I, I like the movie. You'd see the movie. Okay. <laughs> it's it's fun. It's it is it's fun to watch. It's just yeah, it's it's not a great movie, but it is fun to watch. So I I I do not regret watching it again to catch up on this thing. It wasn't it didn't it's, you know, there's plenty of movies that I watch that like don't entertain me or worse make me mad. Runaway does none of those things. It's kind of like, oh that's that's not a great doesn't that that lady doesn't 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 know what she's doing. Yeah, just hey, just yesterday I watched uh I think from the same year or the year after, uh, Graydon, Graydon, director Graydon Clark, director of Joysticks, his his movie Uninvited, about a killer mutant cat on a boat with George Kennedy. That's a really bad movie. And not even, it's kind of fun. Um, but this is better than that. So I don't know what my point was there. I just wanted to talk about that movie because that was some dog shit. Uh, Can I throw out one wild character after moment that I noticed on my on my recent reviewing that I never would have seen before and I probably would have, would have never recognized again? Go ahead. Um, at that early crime scene when uh, Tom Sugg shows up and he talks to some you know police captain guy outside the house and the guy tell this guy with a, a very strong Canadian accent you know tells him about oh you know there's there's a robot in the house that's got a gun you know. <laughs> I was like, this guy looks familiar to me. Why do I know this man? It's because this is 2021, and I have ju- I had just recently rewatched Tom Green's Freddy Got Fingered. Fuck the, what? No, the why? guy, the guy who plays that cop, a bald a bald Canadian man. In 2001, he plays the dad who's Tom Green's next door neighbor, the one who's the kid who keeps getting okay. basically butchered. Okay, I've never seen Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> Well, you should. It's perfect for this. Nope. It's perfect for this show, nope. honestly. No, 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 no. I am never watching. I, no, I, I, are you, are you, it's I am, recording it. You know what? <laughs> hey, I like Rip Torn. I, Rip Torn has the best stage name in history of film, but he's in bad movies too. <laughs> I'm not, it's not an excuse. You're going to have to try better. I'm sorry. It's not anyway, gonna happen. Just I, I had I had to point out that I saw this when watching this movie again. I was like, how do I know this Canadian man in the background? It's like, oh my god, that's the guy. That's the guy who's in Freddy Got Fingered. He has like four lines. <laughs> well, I'm glad that Diamond, you were here so we could tie Tom Selleck to Tom Green. In, yes, in one movie. That's like at the, you six degrees of Tom Green. Good job. I'm proud of you. 
but all thanks to Canada, I guess. All thanks. It's all thanks to all. Yep. So many great you things. Know, but I th- honestly, though, it's it's funny in, in looking up this movie. You know, compared the last time we met uh, on this podcast, we talked about Silver Streak, uh, a movie sadly where almost every single person on screen has passed away, mm-hmm. and this movie is the opposite. Almost everyone in this movie is still kicking, and many of them are still working. <laughs> Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Yeah. Hey, I you know I we said bad things about Kirstie Allen and Tom Selleck. I don't want them to die. No. <laughs> so so let's keep. Gonna knock on more wood here. Let's keep 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 them going. You know, maybe Tom Selleck can do one more decent thing before he 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 retires. That's not blue bloods. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, everyone's still good. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. It is depressing when you watch a movie that's not that old. Like, oh, the entire cast is dead. <laughs> so don't smoke. Anyway, uh, got anything else you want to say about uh, we run away? Hmm. I don't think so. I just think it's you know it's it's an odd. It's an odd bit of sci-fi that's also a cop movie that sort of predicts the future, but it's not the future. And um, I don't know. It's, I think we, we've, we've said everything you need to know. Like if, if, if what we've said hasn't at least made you curious, then yeah, you don't have to watch it. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I, I would think if, if the stuff we talked about today and you're like, Hmm, maybe I would like to see Gene Simmons, you know, kill people with robot spiders and, and guided missiles. Like, if that sounds good to you, but, you should definitely watch this movie. One one of my favorite things to do is is and I'll sum up here is to when describing a movie, like instead of saying the actors, I'll describe them as who they were in other films. So I will say, if you want to see Magnum PI and the girl who got an abortion in Dirty Dancing fight the lead <laughs> singer from Kiss and the and the Diane Tamersley placement from Cheers. Dead. Run away, it's a movie for you. And if you also just like funny, silly sci-fi that has a good look to it, it's for you. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, Diamond, where can people find you on the internet as usual? Well, uh, I am on Twitter as Fight Club, F-E-I-T, my last name, C-L-U-B, the noun. Uh, I'm an active uh, writer and podcaster. I do a lot of work with Retronauts these days. Um, Retronauts has a free episode every week. Uh, but if you join our Patreon, you get a weekly column and mini podcast from me, and you get to- two full-size bonus episodes each month, which is uh, a fun, you know, I think $5 worth that that amount of money, in my opinion. Uh, certainly, I pay it, uh, and I don't me get too. the bonus because, you know, I-, I get the bonus episodes anyway, but it's like I'm writing half of them, so it's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm online. I also, uh, well, I'm... As of this recording, I'm just back from vacation, so I've, I've kind of been out of the game. But I will return to my Twitch channel and stream video games. And um, if you'd like to follow me on there, I'm also Fight Club on Twitch. And if you don't want to pay for Retronauts, but you think I'm cool, well, guess what? I accept money, too. You can go to <laughs> Patreon or Ko-fi, uh, and I'm Fight Club on there as well. So you can support me. You can hang out with me. Uh, I've been... Uh, exploring a lot of creative creativity and podcasting this year. And I'm looking forward to doing more stuff and watching more weird movies because yeah, this has been a great year. You know, the pandemic is still going and it turns out it's still a great year to watch movies. So I've been watching yes. a lot of movies this year. I've been watching a lot of movies for the past 41 years. So <laughs> but that's, that's how old I am. But anyway, yeah, that was a good, 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 uh, good self plug. Good job. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to get better at. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah good, that was good, good. As always, you can find me at LostTurntable.com and on Twitter at Lost Turntable. Again, it's been an episode of Cinema Oblivia. We'll be back again soon with a look at some other weird old movie. Take care. <laughs>